0: Welcome to the Global River Church Discipleship Teaching of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org.
1: Well, guess what I was doing this afternoon? Listen to Derek Prince. (laughs) That's the one we did last week. Uh, This one here, Catherine Kuhlman is who we're going to talk about. Y'all, y'all see her up there? Okay. She, uh, when I was 20-something years old, early 20s, I worked at a gas station in between my junior and senior year. I worked at a gas station in Wellsburg, West Virginia, which is very close to where Kathryn Kuhlman was. So every night, I'd hear her voice on the radio. It was awful. <laughs> I didn't like it. I don't know anything about it, but now I've listened to her in a different way, <laughs> and I'm saying, so, "Whoa, I missed out on a lot," because Catherine's been through an awful lot of stuff in her life, and and she, she's like David; she's a she's a general, but she's got her baggage, <laughs> and uh, we'll talk about some of that. I want to talk to you about uh, her life, and then I'm going to take advantage of the. Uh, the YouTube, <laughs> we're going to watch, I mean, these people, Robert's Lardy and Lardy, and he, he, he wrote the book, God's Generals. He's on there and he's talking about Catherine Kuhlman. And so I said, I, I listened to a whole bunch of them. And uh, this, these two I'm going to give you are probably the best ones that, uh, that I found today. Uh, my, first, I want to give you a little bit of history of Catherine. If you'll flip that slide one time. There she was born in 1907, and she died in, in in 76. Now, what is that for years? 1907 to 76, 49. 60. 69. 69. Okay, she was 69 when she died. She was married to a man named Burroughs Waltrip, and I'll talk about him and as we uh, get a little bit more of her life. Uh, she had red hair and freckles. She was very close to her father, but his father, fa- as far as she knew, he wasn't saved. That's, that says C, but that's wrong. <laughs> he wasn't saved. Uh, he, never, he, cr- he never claimed to be saved. Her mother didn't hug her until uh, she was saved in 1935 at 28 years old. Catherine was born after Catherine was born. So when she was 28, her mother finally hugged her. You can tell what kind of, now we had a neighbor just like this This next bullet. Her mother was strict and distant. She was the disciplinarian in the house, not wanting to call attention to herself. She would dress up her house and be ready for a visitor that could come at any time. We had a, a neighbor and this neighbor always dressed up in white. And I said, oh, that's what she was doing. She was st- she'd go out and work in the garden and dress in her white outfit. Yes. <laughs> she, well, she's since passed away, but uh, I understand her a little bit better now. As a young girl, Catherine was noted for her independence and self-reliance. She was a very independent woman uh, but she was also a woman, and in, in her, her calling was to be a pastor. Her early ministry, 1913, her, she was about, I guess she was 17 or 18, Catherine was. Her uh, sister married, a, it says he married a uh, evangelist, somebody who was went tent meetings, and, and, and he was in charge of uh, the tent meetings at that time. Uh, She persuaded her parents that Catherine was supposed to go with her. So the the sister said to Catherine, why don't you go with us? Catherine had a a, a good presence, Uh, and so she went with them. She learned in life that self-centeredness, along with other self-sins, such as self-pity, self-indulgence, or even self-hatred, causes a person to judge and condemn themselves or himself, and this hinders the Holy Spirit's working in her life. I just wrote down a few things that that I found uh, about her early years. Her early ministry years, go ahead and flip that one slide there. There you go. Paying the price. She said she's not, she she gave this idea. Paying uh, paying the price, Catherine said, is not a one-time experience. Now, this was hard for me. Coming from the Nazarene church, our church doctrine was, when you're sanctified, you got it. It's a step by step process, you know, and you go up one step, you're saved. You go up another step, you're sanctified. Well, this, there's no other steps according to our doctrine. And I've since uh, disagreed with that. (laughs) Catherine and the pianist left the troubled ministry of her sister. All right. Now this is in 1933 in Denver, Colorado. A supporter joined her as a as her business manager. Go ahead and flip that. Okay. He was told by Catherine to go to Denver, rent the biggest place he could find, go like you got millions of dollars in the bank, and they only had five dollars. So she had great faith. But remember, this will come back to honor. She was a woman, and she wasn't supposed to be a preacher at that time. And then she said, God is not limited to what we have or what we are. We can certainly use our $5 and multiply it just as he did the loaves and the fishes. Let's get another slide. All right, in 1935, she married a guy, Burroughs Waltrip from Austin, Texas. He said he was single And he began a revival center called Radio Chapel. He was actually married and had two kids. She didn't know, but she seemed to ignore the promptings within her. Now, if you say, God, is it okay to marry this guy? He'll tell you. Has anybody got experience with that? (laughs) I mean, really... uh, She looks good to me, but (laughs) I don't know what you think. Uh, Shortly after her first trip to Denver, he went home and divorced his wife and came back to Denver. He told everyone he was married and his wife had divorced him. And after he left, his family would never again see his wife. So when he left, he never would again see his wife and children as long as he lived. Uh, He's he's not too nice, is he? (laughs) So he had no part in their lives and he was not uh, not even talking to them. Today we would, would have cell phones. <laughs> We'd be able to at least talk to them. And, go ahead and, and she states that I had to make a choice. Now this is the way she felt about him. Would I serve the man I loved or the God I loved? I knew I couldn't serve God and live with my husband. No one would ever know the pain of dying as I know it for I loved him more than life itself. And for a time, I loved him more than God. I finally told him I had to leave, for God had never released me from her calling. She was uh, in California at the time. And uh, she left early in the morning, didn't tell him she was going, took off. Well, she got as far as Franklin, Tennessee, or Franklin, Pennsylvania, Really close to Wellsburg, West Virginia, where I grew, I grew up where My parents grew up there. And uh, she went into church, and, she, and they, they they knew she was an evangelist, and they didn't have very many people there. So they said, "Okay, why don't you preach?" Well, she preached, and they liked her. So in a couple of years, she had two thousand in her church. But somewhere along the line, they found out about her husband. <laughs> She, she, he, she was not divorced at that time, but they found out about her husband, and they said, how in the world could you marry a man that's married already and got two kids? So she lost her job. <laughs> the, I guess the board kicked her out. <laughs> that's, that's the way I would say it. Catherine spent eight years in oblivion and, and far as ministry, the major ministry was concerned, six years were spent in the marriage and two years she spent trying to uh, find her way back into full-time ministry. She left Waltrip in 1944, but she didn't file for divorce until 1947. So he filed for divorce at, after three years of her leaving. So he left her, she left, in 1944, from California, got all the way to uh, Franklin, Pennsylvania, and preached. And that's, that's where she started. And I'll show you a little bit about what she did. And on YouTube, it's just going to say what she did. Now, this is interesting. A sheriff delivered the divorce papers. At her hotel room, but the sheriff had been to one of her services and told her that he would keep it quiet. She didn't talk about it. Uh, You can imagine why not. (laughs) That was one of the things that Catherine did not talk about was her marriage. But she did finally uh, get the divorce papers. Okay, in her early years, I I used to sleep on a straw tick. You know what a straw tick is? You know what they are. A tick is what they call them. I don't know why. It's a mattress made out of straw and cloth. I don't know. They called it a tick. How many of you have heard the word tick for a mattress? Anybody besides you? Well, they call them in Alabama. They call them ticks. I'll tell you what says a straw mattress sounds better, doesn't it? (laughs) She would often laugh and tell how she would lock the doors and not let anyone out until she was sure they were all saved. Isn't that something? Now, uh, she used to go. In fact, she attended uh, the school of the woman in Los Angeles. What's her name? She was in Los Angeles, a great woman preacher. Uh, I can't think of her name. I know you'll know yeah, Amy McPherson. Amy McPherson used to stand on the top of a car like an angel. She had a white white outfit on and she would stand with both arms outstretched wow. until she got a crowd. <laughs> Anybody would do that in Los Angeles, they'd probably attract a crowd. Well, they would come and she would run to her, or Angelese Temple, which seats 5,000 people. And she would run in there, and then she would lock the door. And then she would preach to the ones that were there (laughs) until they all got saved, and then she would unlock. So that must have been where Catherine got it (laughs) because Catherine knew her intimately. And, uh, and, okay, I've already talked about that. In the last slide, she was very... This is something that uh, it's still taught to this day. Catherine was very confused by the ministry of healing in her day. Many were not healed, were blamed on their lack of faith. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah, Yeah, they're not healed because they don't have enough faith, or maybe the the minister or the, the prayer didn't have enough faith. Catherine states, to this very day, there's nothing more repulsive to me than the lack of wisdom. There's one thing I can't stand, and it is fanaticism. The manifestations of the flesh that bring a reproach on something that is so marvelous and something that is so sacred. So that's, that's pretty much it. I give you a little taste of what she's like, and then I'll let you see uh, what, some of her audios and videos. She was an awesome person. Uh, I, have, I read something bad about her on the internet, so I started out in, with a negative attitude. But after watching about 15 of her it videos, I said, whoa. <laughs> Nothing like that's ever happened that I know of. She uh, basically does what Benny Hinn does today. Benny Hinn was saved in a Catherine Kuhlman uh, get-together. They had a Benny's testimony. I've heard it. He said he was sitting in his seat, and all of a sudden, he started heating up. And uh, he said, what in the world? (laughs) So he's heating up, and... He get, I don't know what happened to him, but he said, God. So he got up, went, I don't know, he went, went down front and got saved. And, and from then on, Benny Hinn uh, began to pray for people and they got healed. Yeah. You know, I, I used to watch Benny Hinn every morning. And he has quite a, now, falling down. Now, lots of uh, non-charismatics have never seen anybody fall down. Catherine, Catherine, that was part of her ministry. She had touched people, and boom, most of them would fall down. Some of them would stand up, but they'd back up. <laughs> now, why do they fall down? Does anybody know? Does angels fall down? If you read the Bible closely, you'll find they do. Angels will fall because the power of God is so great. Daniel, and, and Daniel... Uh, when he met the angel, what happened to Daniel? He was on the floor. So the angel picked him up and set, and strengthened him, and uh, that's the only reason he could even stand up. So when this, the Holy Spirit <laughs> does, that, does all that to you. And so we'll go ahead and let you watch uh, what uh, Lardian said about this. I love this uh, YouTube. I've been listening to YouTube, and now I'll go ahead and play it.
2: ear just then somebody got it open for the an ear hold your ear tightly closed in just that moment somebody's ear open where are you somebody somebody hears me perfectly the ear hold the good ear to shut in that split second somebody's which ear open well come here (laughs) oh this is glory oh dear jesus i worship you I w- Don't hold on. I give you praise. What is this while she's coming? A hernia here. Dear Jesus, I thank you for this healing of this hernia. Is the power of God. Come here. Right here. And you weren't expecting it. Hold your good ear tightly closed. Turn around. Do you hear me now? Say, I love Jesus. I love I love Say, pray- Say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. How long have you been deaf in that year? Ever since I was four years old. Ever since you were four years old. I have And how many years ago that's been is nobody's business. Really? Yeah, four
3: years old. I have sons. Pretty good at church. In yeah, little rock, rock it's is a the Calvary Baptist Church. A
2: Baptist Church? She almost forgot what church she went to. Well, really, a Methodist. But really, a Methodist? <laughs>
3: well, that a church. <laughs> I church. Really well,
2: whatever in the church. she was when she came, she'll never be the same again, I'll tell you that. Hold that ear tightly closed again. Do you hear me now? Yes, sir. Do you hear me now? Yep. Do you hear me whisper? I hear you whisper. Well, that's good enough. Give her a great big God that was instantaneous. Who got the overflow? Just a moment of that ear. Who got the overflow? You must know it. There's another ear that was open and it happened exactly... You, honey. Where were you? In the choir. In the choir? And it happened the same instant that that woman. Are you that amazed? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Which ear opened? How long have you been deaf in it? Since I was five. Since you were five years old? The glory that's on you, I wish I could tell. I wish I could take. You. Hold your good ear to, to, to close. Do you hear me now? Yes, I do. Do you hear everything I say? Yes, I do. I word word you say. Are you amazed? <laughs> yeah. And you've been deaf in that since you were five years old? I had measles. How much hearing did you have in that ear? Just, I couldn't understand words. I couldn't I understand th- you saying. Do you hear me perfectly now? Yes, I can. You hear me now? Yes. You hear me now? Yes, I hear you now. I'm going to have to admit that's God. That, that <laughs> me? Jesus, I worship you. Oh, I give you honor, the glory that's on her. Where are you from? The power power of God that's on you. What, What spiritual light have you had? Where do you go to church? Methodist, Will Rogers, Methodist. Will Rogers, Methodist. There's a glory that's on her that's beautiful. Dear Jesus, just bless her, just bless her. Somebody up there in that choir, wherever she was sitting, somebody near enough to touch her got a healing. Somebody, wherever you were sitting, is there a heart condition up there? Near enough to touch her, wherever you are. You've been healed, you go back to your doctor it'll all be verified. What, what, what is this? I don't know. Where to go from here? To... Praise the Lord. Praise
1: the Lord to me your
2: services. Say, I love Jesus. I love people. Say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I am happy. I am happy <laughs> filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Is that your hearing aid? Yes, ma'am. Take it back and get a refund. <laughs> go, on,
1: go on, Okay, that's uh, that's the, the five-minute version. <laughs> this is the one that you guys are going to want to hear. Uh, Robert Lardian is the one that uh, talks about this next one. So we'll we'll go ahead with this this falling down. Now let me tell you my experience. I was, T- Tom had a party for those going to Brazil. And one girl wanted to be prayed for. I didn't realize she had cancer. You, I don't know if you'll, you'll remember this or not. But I was sitting in a, in a, you know, couch. And all of a sudden, she starts shaking and falling down. I said, what? I had never seen anybody fall down before. My dad's a preacher, and nobody fell in our church. <laughs> So I said, what in the world happened to her? <laughs> so, so that's the way I thought about it. And then later it's not, it's more common with us here. If you haven't seen anybody fall down, you will. <laughs> Just hang around a little bit. Okay, go ahead with that, well that next, the next one.
0: Every Sunday morning on television and throughout the week on radio, thousands of people heard this woman say, I believe in miracles because I believe in God. Her name was Catherine Kuhlman. They'd come by the thousands to her miracle services. They'd pack out the auditoriums in less than an hour with thousands on the outside still trying to get in. This week we're gonna discuss the life and the ministry of this great and wonderful woman. She happens to be my favorite of all the generals I've ever studied, it's Catherine Kuhlman. I'm Robert Slairdon and this is God's Generals. Some of God's great generals come from the most unusual backgrounds. The woman we're talking about today is happens to be my favorite. It's Catherine Kuhlman. She's my favorite for two reasons. One, I saw her three times as a little boy growing up and then also reading all of her sermons and her radio broadcasts that I bought and listened to over the years has really made me fall in love with a woman named Catherine Kuhlman. Uh, like I said in the intro, thousands of people every Sunday morning uh, turned on their television as they were getting ready for church or just waking up from a bad Saturday night to see a red-headed woman say, I believe in miracles because I believe in God. I have next to me an empty wheelchair, which is probably the greatest symbol of a Katherine Kuhlman miracle service, because in her services, people come out of the wheelchairs whether they were believing in for miracles or not.
2: And one thing gets very clear, and that is that Katherine Kuhlman has nothing to do with these miracles. Please get that straight and call me anything. I don't care what you call me, but don't call me a faith healer, whatever you do. Because I resent that very much because I am not a faith healer. And always, you know, I'm referred to as a faith healer. I've never healed anyone. I have no healing power. I have no healing virtue. And um, it's so simple that that's the reason that people miss it it's still God. They forget that the greatest force in the world and the greatest power in the world is God. I'm not a psychic healer. Don't put me in the category of a a psychic healer. These healings are not a matter of mind over matter. It's simply the power of God. It's that simple. If you could only get people to understand it. Somebody else have a question? You see how simple and easy it is.
0: Her life began in a small town in Missouri called a crossroads town called Concordia, Missouri. If you blink your eyes too fast as you're driving through, you'll miss it. The only great thing that ever happened in Concordia was Catherine Kuhlman. Her father became mayor of the town. Her mother and father went to two different churches. One was Baptist and one was Methodist. So Catherine Kuhlman Had to make a choice who she wanted to go to church with uh, on that Sunday and would go either with her mom or her dad. And that's how Catherine grew up. She'd go around town with her dad, and everybody knew her father and began to know her too as the the dynamic duo that would walk around town because Catherine adored her father. That's probably one reason why she had such a love for her heavenly father and had such a warm relationship that you could see when you'd see her speak on TV or in a miracle service. Catherine Kuhlman's life. Uh, was not one that we'd say in the beginning was eventful. She didn't finish high school. Her sister married a healing evangelist named Parrott. That was his last name. And so as they would travel around the country with their small gospel tent, uh, they eventually found out they needed some help to take care of the kids. So Catherine's sister called back to Concordia and asked her mom and dad, and then eventually asked Catherine, would Catherine come out and travel with them and take care of the children while they were doing the tent healing crusades. So mom and dad agreed and Catherine agreed. So Catherine packed her little bag and head out to be with her sister and brother-in-law and begin to be the nanny for the children and would sit in the meetings every night. Now her brother-in-law had a great healing ministry and one of the great things about his ministry was that when he began to worship God or begin to pray for people, they would fall out under the power. Now remember, in today's world that you and I live in, being slain in the spirit is quite normal. There is the real folks who fall because the power of God comes on them so strongly. Others fall because everybody else falls. And that's what I jokingly call the courtesy fall. You just fall because you want to fall. But back in those days, you fell because God really came on you in a strong way and short circuit your ability to stand and out you would go. But after a period of months, they discovered that they couldn't afford to keep Catherine with them. And so they were going to send Catherine back to Concordia to home and maybe to finish school. But Catherine didn't want to go to Concordia. It was a small little town. She'd already maxed out all of what she was going to do there. And she didn't want to go back there and be born. So instead of going back to Concordia when, and, and when it was time for her to leave, she decided, I am going to start my ministry. So Catherine, as a teenage preacher, began to preach. And she says, I didn't know much. All I knew was salvation. So I'd preach salvation every night and ask people to get saved. And then someone gets saved. and They come back the next night and they get saved again. And then the third night, they get saved again. She said, I kept making them get saved every night because that's all I knew. You can only preach what you know. And in those days, Catherine Kuhlman only knew about being born again. But she didn't have big crowds. She would go out and teach and preach in one-room schoolhouses. She'd clean up turkey houses and chicken houses and sometimes sleep in them and preach in the same building at nighttime. And that's how Catherine Kuhlman began her ministry. And as she began to travel around the country, she finally ended up in Denver, Colorado. In Denver, Colorado, her revival meetings were so successful that she decided to build a church. And she built a church of 2,000 people and it became the best church in town. And if you're on the, the traveling ministry circuit, you had to make sure that you went through Denver, you had to go to the Kuhlman Church because it was the best church in town. Raymond T. Richard preached there, others would preached there. There'd come a man that would eventually change her life named Burroughs Waltrip. But before we get into that part of her life story, I want to stop just for a moment. And I want you to go here my favorite general, Kathryn Kuhlman, speak to one of her miracle services.
2: You see, I can only give you my own personal experience. No one can give to anyone else any more than they've experienced themselves. Always remember that. And just in a very simple way, I'll give you my own personal experience regarding the Holy Spirit. My first, my very first association with the Holy Spirit was in a little Methodist church in Concordia, Missouri. If only you could know from whence I've come. Concordia, I don't think, is on the map. It's so small. Not more than 1,200 population. Mama was Methodist, Papa was Baptist. Neither one worked too hard at it. (laughs) And one Sunday morning, and it says real to me, this was my very first contact with the Holy Spirit, and I didn't realize it. One Sunday morning, sitting with Mama, in that little Methodist church, I don't think the church holds any more than a hundred people. We were sitting there. It was time for the last song, and I was holding the old fashioned Methodist hymnal. Whether anyone has ever been converted in that church before or since, I'll never know. But. When the last song was being sung and I was holding that old-fashioned Methodist hymnal in my hand, I was only 14 years of age, something happened to me. I cannot tell you one word the preacher said and not one. But I only know that in that moment the Holy Spirit came upon me. I did not recognize, I did not even know there was such a thing as the Holy Spirit. And I began to shake, I began to tremble, so much so I had to lay the hymnal down in the pew. And I knew I had to do something. I saw myself as I really was a sinner in the sight of God and I did something. I laid that hymnal down and I did the only thing that I knew what to do. I'd seen them take in church members and I stepped forward and sat down in the first pew right in the corner and wept. This was my conversion. This was my first contact with the Holy Spirit. I began to weep, and I remember one of the old sisters came to me and brought me a handkerchief. She said, oh, Catherine, she says, don't cry. You and I both know that you've been such a good little girl. We both knew she was lying. (laughs) But in that moment, something happened to me. That was the new birth experience, and it was so real that I've never doubted it since. Never. I believe that when you're really born again, there's a definite place, there's a definite time, and you know it. And His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, will bear witness with your spirit. That you pass from death unto life, and it's been that spiritual experience, it's been my new birth experience, it's been so real. But in that moment, I had my first contact with the Holy Ghost.
0: As she was pastoring her great church in Denver, Colorado, she had a guest speaker one night named Burroughs Tripp. He stayed over and kept doing meetings would come back several different occasions and a long story short, he asked her to marry him. Everybody warned Catherine, don't marry him, don't do this, don't do this. People called, people drove, her friends told her not to, but Catherine Kuhlman went ahead and married Burroughs Tripp in Iowa. He had a ministry over there uh, called a radio chapel in those days the radio ministry was the dominant ministry uh, of the scene and so even during the wedding ceremony something strange happened she fainted during the wedding ceremony and they had to revive her so she can come up and say yes to her vows but she did come back and say yes when they finished all the the wedding celebrations uh, they got in the car and drove back to the hotel with some friends to change clothes to start their honeymoon trip And before her new hubby could turn off the car, she jumped out of the car, ran to the room of one of her friends in the hotel, crying, saying, I've made a mistake, what am I going to do? And while she was in there talking to her friend and crying, her husband knocked on the door and said, Catherine, where are you, come on, let's go. She stopped crying, pulled herself together and began the journey into her wilderness years. She began the journey of trying to figure out how do I fix this big mistake that I made? In the life of Catherine Kuhlman, this was probably the greatest challenge that she faced. She went into this marriage hoping that it was the real thing, but pretty soon he would not allow her to preach. There are people that I've interviewed that saw her sitting on the stage while he preached and she'd be crying and they thought she was being blessed by the anointing, but what she was probably doing was crying, going, how do I get out of the mess that I'm in? They finally moved to Los Angeles, California, where she went to Amy McPherson's Bible School didn't graduate, didn't even finish a whole semester, but I've seen her name on the, the book where she registered to be a part of it. That didn't work for her. Finally, one day she walked to a dead-end street in Los Angeles, California. This was a defining moment in Kathryn Kuhlman's life. Every one of us has these moments. Nobody else understands them, but that individual understands them. She walked to a dead-end street and she was crying and she looked up to heaven and she says, God, I have nothing left but my love for you. It
2: costs much, but it's worth the cost. It costs
4: everything.
2: If you really want to know the price, if you really want to know the price, I'll tell you, Everything. Catherine Kuhlman died a long time ago. I know the day, I know the hour, I can go to the spot where Catherine Kuhlman died. Because I had nothing I know better than anyone else from whence I've come From a little crossroads town In Missouri With a population of 1,200 people I had nothing I was born without talent. Most people are born with something. I didn't even have hair on my head when I was born, just red fuzz. looked up and said, Wonderful Jesus, I have nothing, I have nothing to give you but my love. That's all that I can give you. And I love you with all my heart. And I give you my body as a living sacrifice. If you can take nothing and use it, then here's nothing. Take it. It isn't silver vessels that he's asking for. It isn't golden vessels that he needs.
0: He just needs yielded vessels. Catherine Kuhlman turned around, went home, packed her bags and called an end to that marriage, but began her journey back into her high calling. Miss Kuhlman's life is a story of the God of a second chance. So many times we only think of Miss Kuhlman as the great lady that wore the white dress and the big crowds and the empty wheelchairs and the miracles, and that is a great part of her life, but that was only the last 10 to 15 years of her life. This part of her life was her journey back. Her journey back in ministry was was coupled with, I think, lots of tears, lots of heartache, lots of fears. She'd go places to preach and the pastor that invited her would hear about her divorce and close her meeting down. The worst case that I read about of this kind of situation happening to her was one time when she was in the southern part of America had about 1,500 to 2,000 people and she was preaching, right in the middle of her preaching the pastor walked to the stage, took the microphone away from her had the ushers ask her all, apologize to the crowd for having a false prophetess come and speak to them. The ushers took her to her hotel room, made her pack her bags, put her on the bus and made her leave town. There would be many a night she would leave town crying in disgrace, but she had determined at that dead end street the day that Catherine Kuhlman died that she'd never turn back. She'd give her life to God, she'd fight for the cause of Christ and she'd serve him to the end of her days. She's about to have a great happening in her life. She goes up to the Ohio, Pennsylvania area and finds a little church that asks her for a meeting. She does a meeting. And then at the end of it, there were such good results of people getting saved and a little group of people loved this redheaded woman named Catherine Kuhlman that they had a secret meeting that night after church and they voted that they decided that she would be their pastor. So the next morning they came to greet her, all happy and excited. She couldn't quite figure out why they were so excited because the the amount of joy they were expressing did not seem to go with the meetings of last night, even though they were good. And they said, last night we prayed and we voted and you're our new pastor. We now welcome you as the pastor of this church and we're glad that you're going to take it. And this woman goes, no, 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 no. I can't be your pastor. So they go back and forth, back and forth through this type of dialogue and finally she tells them why they don't want her to be their pastor. She stops and quietly says, the reason why is because I'm divorced. You don't want a divorcee to be your pastor. And they go, and I love this little group. They go, well, we don't know about that Catherine. We don't know about what happened in that Catherine's life, but we know this Catherine. And this Catherine Kuhlman, we want. And this Catherine Kuhlman, we have voted and we have prayed. And God told us, you are our pastor. Will you please accept God's will and our acceptance and be our pastor? And when they made that kind of compassionate statement to Ms. Kuhlman, her heart could relax. She could settle back and come into her own with this little group that loved her and didn't judge her on her past mistakes.
2: I stood there amazed in 1948 when the woman told me that she'd been healed of a tumor in Franklin, Pennsylvania. I was awed. Or when this Mr. Orr came and said that he'd received sight in an eye. Because I'd never touched him, i had never prayed for him. I too was curious as to what had happened. Recently, the St. Louis Globe Democrat reported that since 1948, and this is the figure that they gave, that at least Two million people have been healed by the power of God through this ministry.
0: At one time, I thought this was a, uh, this was a, uh, well, it was phony, but when it happened to me, I'll just tell the whole world that this is the uh, the truest thing that ever was. And I've seen healings here that make your hair stand on that.
2: Hi, my name is Carol, and I had a healing last month. I had ankylosing spondylitis which is arthritis of the small joints of the spine and it has been verified by x-rays that uh, calcification had set in and the doctors had confirmed it as being incurable and that it would get progressively worse. I had a healing and my spine is straight and I'm fine and praise the lord I'm better than I have ever been and I'll never be the same again. That's the reason, you know, the ministry needs no defense. (laughs) The miracles of healing need no defense. Sitting there, there are thousands who are watching. And they may may feel as though that I am overdramatic when someone is winfully healed by the power of God. What they don't understand is, that I'm just as thrilled with the very lost miracle that I saw God performed as the first time. There are no words in the human vocabulary to describe spiritual experiences and emotions because these things are spiritual. But as real as the air that you breathe,
3: I thought they needed more air conditioning. I was getting so terribly hot and now all at once when I turned to look at Bernie my head turned without holding it up. Now I can And
1: I noticed as soon as I stood up, I could feel my feet. With multiple sclerosis, you don't have any feeling. I was a 245-pound vegetable, all humped over, stiff neck, left side paralyzed. As I walked in this auditorium, God performed a miracle. He straightened my body completely up. I had no ill feelings. My hands straightened up. I could turn my neck. My left side had use in it. I was a new man. I know from my own experience of my 30 years of
5: surgery and working with patients of this kind that this is medically impossible, that this has to be a miracle of God to give me this healing of my back and to relieve this constant pain
2: that I had in my leg. How do you feel now? I feel Vibrant. I feel like I could shock the world. By doing what? Praise the Lord. <laughs> I was blind and was led around like blind people. Have you
0: seen a doctor about your condition?
2: Oh, yes. For years.
0: And, and what happened this afternoon?
2: I don't know. I started to cry. And uh, I didn't ever cry much because I think that's one of the things about glaucoma You don't have much fluid in the eyes or something. And then I thought I saw the face, but I didn't believe it. I thought it was in my mind's eye that I saw it. And I took my glasses off and rubbed my eyes. And I said to Quan, I see a little boy in a green sweater. I was stunned. I, 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 couldn't, I, I couldn't say anything. I, I, I kept wanting to cry, but I couldn't. It, it was just that I was just walking around dazed. I couldn't believe I was really seeing it. Even though I believe in the supernatural power of God, i'm not personally immune to sickness i too can become ill Catherine kuhlman died
0: following open heart surgery it's likely however that her legacy of love and healing will be an inspiration for generations to come the lady from the little town of concordia missouri made too strong an imprint on too many millions of people to be soon forgotten How many people we've met in our life that we've judged because of their past mistakes? How many folks today are watching me and you've quit preaching or quit working in the church or helping in the community because people remind you of the things that you did in your life? Well, if God forgave you, that settles the issue. And there will be people in the world that will accept you and want you and receive you and will have your grace be a blessing in their life. So I want to encourage you, like Ms. Kuhlman, get up and press through the hard moments. Overcome the negative statements. And yes, even overcome the mean people in the church. Some of the meanest people that we'll meet in our life is not those who are not born again, is those who call the Lord their savior, who have a heart for the church, but somehow they've got a judgmental mean spirit and they're out to make sure that everyone that's done something wrong serves a present hell instead of a living forgiveness. And I hope that you will come and find a new group of people and live again. Every one of you, God has a call for you. And that call does not disappear, no matter what you have or have not done. Ms. Kuhlman returned to her calling and found her place in ministry in this little church. Next week, when I come back, the great miracle services are going to begin. It's going to be a great broadcast next week. We're going to have all these great films of Ms. Kuhlman, of preaching and praying for the sick. You're going to see how God used her. So don't miss it. It's going to be a great broadcast.
1: that was uh, something that they did a lot better than I could do. (laughs) I just thought I'd tell you a little bit about what she said. Something about her life that has affected me personally. And uh, I say this, God is not looking for golden vessels. He's not looking for silver vessels. He's looking for willing vessels. (laughs) People who are willing. And she, she didn't have a high school education. But yet she filled, I mean, some of her services were 10,000 people with people waiting outside to get in. They were awesome. And uh, she had the power of God all over. But it didn't happen quick. So all we have to do is trust in the Lord that he'll use this vessel that you give him and say, okay, Lord, whatever you want me to be, I'll be. You do whatever you want me to do, I'll do. And uh, that's the way we do it. Now, I wanted to tell you how I was saved in the next 15 minutes we got. Uh, I was saved in the Nazarene church. My dad was preaching. I must have been about five. (laughs) I don't really know how old I was. I would sleep on the first row. You know, I was five years old, so I could do that. <laughs> so I, I'd sleep on the first row. Well, my dad was saved during the war, and they, and they shipped him home during the war because he had a bleeding ulcer. And uh, one thing he promised the Lord is he would never have a service without an altar call. He said there may be one person in, in, in maybe a year that comes down to be saved. And that's what he wanted to do. So as soon as he started changing the service and and asking for an altar call, I stood up. I must have woke up or something. And then I got under conviction. Y'all know what that is? (laughs) I started shaking and I started thinking all the bad things I'd done that week. (laughs) So so I went at five years old. (laughs) So I went to the altar Well, in in the Nazarene church, they were very uh, forceful. One guy would beat me on the back and pray for me and say, get him, Lord, get him, Lord. And then somebody else would say, take him, Lord, take him, Lord. And and one would say, go this way. The other would say, go that way. And and so I didn't know. I was kind of confused as to what happened. I did that almost, I I mean, I did it all year. (laughs) I was the the most, I went to the altar almost every night. (laughs) Because when I was, I could remember something I did wrong and I needed to go to the altar again. Well, then as I got older, I found out that you don't have to do that. The Bible doesn't talk about going over and over again and get saved. It talks about God saving you as you are. So I went to the altar. I must have, (laughs) I can't remember it. And I got saved. (laughs) And then I didn't go again. Because it took, (laughs) I think. I kept reading the Bible and the Bible kept telling me not to uh, go every time. (laughs) You only had to get saved once. (laughs) My favorite Bible character is Mary Magdalene. Who was the first person Jesus saw when he rose from the dead? It was Mary Magdalene. Whew, she was a wonderful woman. (laughs) who had learned to follow the Lord in spite of what she had been and what she had done. She had five husbands, and she was living with a man. But yet God says, I will forgive you. As far as the east is from the west, so I have, all, all the things you've ever done, are saved. So if you tonight want to be saved, you can be. I mean, all you have to do is tell the Lord, forgive me, Lord, repent. Talk, talk to the Lord, say, forgive me for what I've done. And I don't care what they say about you. They may say, well, she's been divorced twice. We have uh, some people in, uh, that I've met in church have been divorced five times. But yet they're good Christians now. The Lord will forgive you no matter what you've done in your past. And what I want to do is, I want to ask you how you got saved. What does anybody want to tell their story of how they got saved? Anybody? All right, give that mic- microphone to him if you would, Jan.
6: Um, Mine was uh, Harvey Cedars, New Jersey. I had, uh, I was in a uh, Catholic church and I worked with the debate team. So I needed extra practice on debating and figured that the born-again Christians would be my next set of victims. And so I uh, went with uh, Young Life to Harvey Cedars. I was also interested in a young lady. I forgot her name now, but we'll just call her Veronica. I was instant Veronica. But Veronica wouldn't date me because I was not a Christian. And so I figured that I'd go and that it qualified me for being a a Christian and I could date Veronica. And plus I could have fun tearing up the Christians with my great repertoire. And I got there and these young lifers started praising the Lord. And and then that night, uh, Saturday night, uh, not the first night, the second night, Saturday night, uh, the Lord uh, saved me and opened my eyes. And I remember going to sleep. I was, I was going to sleep, and I realized that the Lord had saved me. So I was in my own bunk, my own bed, and I went to bed a Christian, but I didn't let anybody know at all. And the next morning, I got up, and I realized, <laughs> I'm still born again. You know, <laughs> it's la- it lasted more than a day. This must be a miracle in and of itself. <laughs> I forgot all about Veronica. And uh, I went to breakfast that morning, and my whole attitude, my whole countenance, everything about me had changed. Um, And I didn't want to argue with anybody. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I just wanted to thank the Lord for the uh, thing he had done in my life. And uh, he he really changed it and continues to change it. I am thankful. uh, As an amended note, I'm thankful that I go to this church. Uh, I have been born again a long time. But uh, this church has been an awful lot to uh, changing my walk with the Lord even uh, stronger and at a deeper level, which I, you know, I commit to the fact that you guys are such strong believers in God. That's all I can say. Thank you. Yeah, what happened to Veronica? Veronica's still born again, and Veronica's not anywhere near me. And... Uh, okay, the last part of the story, all right. I know you guys are anxious for this. That Sunday morning when I got up to go and have breakfast, I met a young lady named Peggy Daniels. And her and I became boyfriend and girlfriend. And so I don't remember much about Veronica, but Peggy was born again, and I was born again, and it all worked out great. <laughs> <laughs> That's good, Jim. Thank
1: you. Okay, anybody else want to say how they were saved? Yeah. Eddie? <laughs>
5: Lord have mercy. To <laughs> My family uh, was in holiness, but I went to the Methodist church, and one day sitting there... I just felt like I wanted my life changed. And all of a sudden, I found myself on my feet, and I was going to the altar, and I tell you, that was the greatest feeling. I told the Lord, I want you to change my life. And right then and there, he changed my life. I know I was changed. So, you know, in the Holiness Church, I went over there one night for revival, and uh, and the Lord got on me again. I was seeking him for the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And before I got it, he said to me, you read my word, get it for yourself and ask no man. He says, the Holy Spirit is gonna lead and guide you into all truth and nothing wouldn't overtake you by surprise. And I got down, I seek the Lord and I tell you what, he took me into, uh, Paul said, he don't know other heavenly places. I know I went into the heavenly places. I felt like that I was flying. And I was down on the floor under the bench when I came out of it, speaking in tongues. And I tell you, whew, he Amen. took all the temple, all the everything from me. And even them little choice words didn't come out of my mouth no more. And I know that God has changed me. I went into my shop one morning, and I stapled my finger with the staple. Oh. And I, that word didn't come out of my mouth. I knew that God had changed me totally. Amen. <laughs>
2: So, I guess it, well, I guess I rededicated my life, I don't know, I don't know, a while, a while ago, and let me tell you, recently, I was crying, and I knew that I got a new baptism of the Holy Spirit, because my legs, I was sitting in the recliner, my legs were going like, kicking, and I was like... I got the Holy Ghost again. Glory.
4: <laughs> so my grandfather, Smith, was, uh, my mother's father was a pastor in the Methodist church. And he, um, I remember when I was, I guess, about four, he preached a sermon about hell, how people were, uh, on their way to hell and the brimstone and fire. And and I remember dreaming a lot about that sermon, uh, but I didn't get saved. He he uh, died when I was five. And then uh, there was a cousin that was also a pastor. He was a Pentecostal free will Baptist pastor. And he, he would really speak about the Holy Spirit and how you needed to get filled with the Holy Spirit. But I, I don't remember him actually having an altar call for salvation. Uh, but then um, over here at Myrtle Grove Presbyterian Church, when I was seven, um, Pastor Matt, Steve Mattis was talking about how Jesus is knocking on your heart, and if you'll let him in, that you'll be saved. So I remember feeling like a, a wind blowing on me, and, and I stood up and, and said, yes, I want to do that. And then later later that night, I, I kind of made the realization that something was different. Um, so that that was the start of... Salvation. Seven.
5: Well, I was there at age eight. There was a lot of trouble in my family at that time, and I don't know if that had a bearing on it, but Jesus came into my bedroom and presented me with his hands, and I always loved him from then on. i never had an altar call, but I've loved him since I was age eight.
1: We're just about uh, getting ready to, uh, I wanted to say one more thing though. Everybody's different. The Apostle Paul, you know, I, I was riding on, riding on my bicycle and I had my cell phone in my hand and, and I told Phil Walls, <laughs> Something he says. Oh, you're searching for the Paul experience, aren't you? <laughs> I I went out to the to the beach, spent a week in a spent a, spend a week by myself in the beach house, and had a bike <laughs> and and prayed, and uh, I didn't it didn't happen like it did with Apostle Paul. I didn't get knocked down. Now I don't know if Paul was on a. I think he was on a mule or a horse or something, and he got knocked to the ground. and And I can picture Paul in a circular room. I don't know if this is the way he was or not, with a chair in the middle, Paul sitting on it, for three days. Now, if you've ever gone without water for three days, (laughs) yeah, he couldn't see. That's right, he was blind. So he, he was blind and thirsty and hungry. And he sat there in the chair, totally flabbergasted that he had been wrong about this Jesus. And then then Jesus sent somebody else there to to heal him, touch his eyes, and uh, I'm sure they fed him. (laughs) But all of our salvation experiences are not the same. Uh, You know, usually people that get saved will say, that's how you get saved. But it's different. Uh, like with me, like uh, Chuck Colson, I don't know if you've ever read his, I've read about 10 of his books. <laughs> Chuck Colson was the a Watergate guy. He went to jail for Watergate. I think he was the only one that went to jail there. But his wife was a very good Christian woman until she died. But she never had a salvation experience. She always believed in Jesus. Now, isn't that something? So people would ask her, when did you get saved? She'll say, I don't know. <laughs> so, and Chuck Colson said, I, I, I can't explain it, but that's what happened. She was, she was born loving Jesus. Well, hand, uh, yeah, just, she saw, you saw God's hands. I, I really think, so don't try to be like somebody else. The Lord will touch you. Catherine uh, Kuhlman was in touch in a a place where there was no Holy Spirit that you could feel. You couldn't feel anything. Like she said, she's probably the only one that ever got saved in that church. I've been to those kind of churches. But she uh, she was saved through an experience. So just, just do what the Bible says. The Bible says, do it, do it. And be the willing vessel that God wants to, wants, to, wants you to be. Let's stand up. We'll, well, I'll let you go right at eight o'clock. <laughs>